0: Today on the WSJ Media Mix podcast, we talk with Hulu ad sales chief Peter Naylor about his company's chase for TV ad dollars, how Hulu integrates brands into original shows, and why the company believes it can offer the perfect skinny bundle. Welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast, bringing you interviews and analysis with people that matter in the fast-changing media business. Hello and welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast. I'm Steven Perlberg. I'm here with my colleague, Jack Marshall. We're recording this on a rainy Monday. How are you, Jack? I'm doing great, Steve. Uh, so we, we're here in the podcast booth with uh, Peter Naylor. He's the Senior Vice President of Advertising Sales at Hulu. Uh, joined it in February 2014. Before that, he was at NBC NBCUniversal. Uh, Peter, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. So we we talk a lot, uh, you know, here on the on the Media Mix podcast, sort of about the the TV versus digital dynamic. You guys sort of sit in the nexus of that. Um, the, you know, there's obviously a lot of talk about TV budgets sort of moving to digital, uh, and and that line blurring. It's a good place to start. Would be when you're making your sales pitch. Um, what dollars are you chasing? Are you sort of meeting with D- digital uh, guys, are you are you chasing TV dollars, or uh, or is that line really blurring, and you don't you don't necessarily view it that way?
1: Well, if Hulu was a Venn diagram, it'd be a big circle that represents TV and a big circle that represents digital, and the overlap would be very very big. Um, to answer your question directly, we call on broadcast guys. Uh, we're going after those budgets because Hulu is TV. You know, we have. Long-form content, half-hour comedies, hour-long dramas, movies. They come with conventional television breaks that consumers are used to seeing on air. Um, But the difference is all of our ads are served through an IP address, so it's digital. We have a much lighter ad load than conventional TV, so it's, uh, dare I say, tolerable to the viewer. And um, everything that you can do in a desktop display space that you've been doing for years Uh, with targeting and with data, we can do on TV. So we're um, TV in our content, TV in our delivery, but we're digital in uh, so many aspects behind the scenes. So we're going after the TV dollars because, you know, broadcast and cable rating points are in this long, slow decline, and uh, marketers are trying to find TV watchers, and they're watching TV on Hulu.
0: Is that an awkward dynamic at all? Because, I mean, Hulu is is owned by a consortium of media companies that are also chasing those those dollars and in a way, you know, you'd be sort of competing with them. Or is that is that something that can be, you know, awkward at the board meeting for you or, or not
1: really? Well, I think it would be more awkward if they didn't own us. I think they understand <laughs> that, you know, this is where the, where the world is going and I think they're happy to have a front row seat by having ownership in Hulu. So, um, you know, we have... A very nice relationship with the owners you know they pave the way on a lot of things whether it's content or otherwise so um, when I'm out in the field competing with my TV counterparts you know there's it's competition for dollars but by and large I think they're they'd rather own us than not
2: I wonder how as you said you know you're out sort of pitching everybody I just wonder on the agency side um, how are they sort of organized these days? Because we hear a lot about sort of TV budget shifting to digital and, you know, perhaps vice versa.
1: Yeah, sure. For a long time, uh, the average, the agencies have understood that, um, a television is really just a name for a consumer electronic device, but watching TV can be done in so many ways. And, um, When you buy TV, you're not just buying good old-fashioned linear television anymore. So in agencies everywhere, they've pretty much eliminated a distinction between TV buyers and digital video buyers. Now I'm hearing it's just video. And now they have to segment the video universe between conventional linear television, streamed television, and then other things that look like video but may not resemble the old school TV when it comes to gross rating points and all the ways they used to buy. So they have to um, decide the value of an impression on, say, uh, a Facebook versus the value of an impression on, say, Thursday Night Football Mm -hmm. and all points in between. And so that's their challenge. But But increasingly, the media departments are just talking about video, and then they segment it from there.
0: So you mentioned earlier um, you know, sort of the tolerability of, of advertising. We talk a lot about um, sort of ad blocking on the digital side. There's obviously a sort of consumer uh, you know, reaction to all of the advertising on cable television, uh, the sort of glut there. I'm curious, from your perspective, you, you do have an ad-free model, but you also have an ad-supported model. How do you um, toe the line where you're not bombarding people with too many ads? Uh, what is the calculus that you guys do to, to get to get that right?
1: Yeah, I don't think people really hate advertising despite the, ro- the rise of ad blockers. I think people hate irrelevance, right? If you serve relevant ads to people, they're interesting, they're entertaining, they're informative. So the rise of data and the rise of programmatic advertising, the promise is relevancy, and then advertising is less intrusive. Um, we... About a year ago, introduced our ad-free platform. So we've a limited commercial subscription and a ad-free subscription. And the majority of people who sign up today for Hulu today will choose the ad-supported uh, platform. And it's for many reasons. I think again because not everybody hates ads, and everybody who is given that choice understands they can save some money. And frankly, it helps me when I'm on the street because advertising becomes the hero. They are presented with this idea of you can save money if you take the ad-supported version. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I now you're reminding people why advertisers are there. They help pay for the service. But by the, the same product. token, if
0: you were going to sign up for Hulu, if I was going to sign up for Hulu right now, wouldn't it make more sense to say, all right, let me sign up for the – let me see if I like it. Let me sign up for the, the ad-supported cheaper option. And then, you know, how are you seeing people then upgrade to say, okay, I like Hulu. Now, now I – I don't want it with the ad. I like Hulu so much that I don't want the ads.
1: We've seen it go both ways. And if you look at other ads, um, commercial, subscription-based media companies, you know, the the music services have the same kind of mix where they see the majority of people are happy to take the ad-supported version um, because it's not that big a deal. So uh, we see people go back and forth between the ad-supported and the ad-free. Do you think media companies
2: could have done a better job in sort of, in the shift to digital, communicating the value exchange around advertising and, and content?
1: Well, you know, advertising started out very explicitly by saying, you know, the following show is made possible through the generous underwriting of the good people at Bull of a Watch or whatever it was. Right. And it was really clear that without the advertiser, the content wouldn't be there. So um, these kind of choices that we offer people puts an exclamation point on that and reminds people, no, advertising just doesn't come with the content. It's there because it's, it helps us pay for the content and pay for the service. I mean, the other thing that's interesting about advertising today is the fact that in a on-demand service like Hulu, we can ignore some of the constraints of the past. In other words, I can take not only 15-second spots or 30-second spots, but we can take fives. I took a five-second spot from Tic Tac, which was totally entertaining, got the point across, and you're back into the experience we're happy to take stories that tell an ad, uh, 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 stories ads that tell a story, rather. So you look at Bank of America or others, they give me consecutive spots that the ad server runs in consecutive breaks, so they tell a story. So you're not seeing the same ad over and over and over again. You're seeing a story unfold. So we can do different lengths, different kinds of creativity. And um, just as I said, all the tricks of desktop pass can now be applied to TV future. So interactive ads are something we're rolling out as well. So I think that's another big benefit of digital television.
0: What do those interactive ads sort of look like? There's you know, sort of heard talk of that. Um, what would that. What would that look like? People are kind of clicking. Yeah,
1: and... so you're watching your show and a conventional break comes along um, and you're served a, a, what looks to be a conventional video uh, ad But there's all sorts of calls to action where you can engage and click, you can watch more videos, you can fill out um, uh, surveys, you can take quizzes, you can uh, sign up to receive newsletters. It's just everything you're used to in a desktop, you'll be able to do in TV, and that's what we're doing. We're doing it with partners Uh, like Innovid and Brightline and Truex, to name a few companies that are enabling this kind of uh, ad experience.
2: Is there a transactional element there potentially as well?
1: Absolutely, I mean, right now it's kind of a click within model versus a click through because so much of the consumption happens through devices like a Roku or PlayStation or an Xbox. So to totally transact is just another generation away. But once you engage in the ad, so much can happen within that experience. And then the content kind of, quote unquote, patiently waits while you're engaging with the marketer. And then when you're done, the content resumes. You haven't missed a beat. So I, you probably get this
0: question a lot. I think people at streaming services often do. So myself as an example, I, you, I watch Hulu, but it's my girlfriend's ex-boyfriend's account and it was a big deal a couple of weeks ago when he upgraded to uh, to ad free i mean <laughs> i i am like not a good hulu customer right I, I this is this is really bad you guys must look at me i mean on the one hand i'm watching your content and at one point i was you know getting ad impressions for you guys but
1: now i'm not what do you think of me well i think you're living on borrowed time cuz this guy's <laughs> going to change his password sooner or later if he listens to this podcast right so um you know right now it's all about uh, engagement and brand love and if you're happily watching the service hopefully you'll tell your friends about it and right now we are happy to have you watching um, we do have safeguards in place so you can not have a hundred people using the same username and password but we have you know rules in place to to combat that but right now it, it is a land grab and we want to have people watching so we're we're tolerant of that right now uh,
0: and, and so you guys have about uh, 12 million subscribers for our listeners, for comparison's sake. Netflix, 47 million. Do you, do you guys view uh, yourselves in that sort of ballpark? And, and what's the growth plan uh, to, to continue to, to grow?
1: Yeah, we're competing with all the VOD offerings out there. and. Um, when you talk about 12 million subscriptions, I talk about subscribing households. Right. So for a case study of one, I have one subscription with four viewers in my household. So we know we have over 30 million viewers. And with 300 plus million people in the country, we've got about 10 percent of the viewing audience out there, which is terrific for me to go to market with. Um, the way we're going to compete, first and foremost, is with content. So, you know, we're owned by um, ABC, NBC and Fox or more important, more to the point. Disney, Comcast and 21st Century Fox. And we just had an investment from Time Warner. So those are our owners and we get the content from them. Um, we also go after exclusive content. So for example Hulu is a place you can only find on in a video on demand environment anyway. Seinfeld or South Park. Um, this summer we, we secured the rights to Roots and Homeland and on and on and on. And so in addition to The content we get from about 400 providers, the exclusives we go out and grab, we're creating originals. You know, that's a real uh, place where the battle is being fought on originals. So we're doing big shows with the likes of uh, J.J. Abrams, Amy Poehler. Um, Just this past weekend, we launched a documentary made by Ron Howard about the Beatles. So we're going after iconic, big television, hoping to, you know, capture the hearts and minds of viewers.
0: All right, great. We're going to talk a little bit more about the originals. We're going to take a quick ad break after this.
1: Hi, this is Paul Jigo, host of the Potomac Watch podcast. Join me and my colleagues every week as we dissect all of the latest happenings in Washington and on the campaign trail. Check us out at wsj.com podcasts and become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and the Google Play Music app.
0: WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. All right, we're back with Peter Naylor from Hulu. We were just talking about uh, some of the originals that you guys are, are um, getting into. I'm curious, I know from an advertising perspective, branded integrations have become a bigger part of, of what you're doing. You sort of see it across television now. So um, some examples, there was a you know, Lexus in The Mindy Project, uh, some Goose Island Beer in, in your show Casual. Um, you see these increasingly on television these days. I'm wondering, is that pushing the originals, uh, is a big part of that that it gives you the opportunity to find new revenue streams such as branded integrations, or is that just sort of a, an added plus?
1: Uh, it's a nice way to um, earn revenue for the show and for Hulu itself. So in the case of Mindy, you know, we talk to the showrunner, we talk to Mindy, and we say, hey, we'd love to talk to people like Lexus or Microsoft. We've got a couple others for the new season that we haven't announced yet, but they are love getting um, the opportunity to make sure there's a fit and they get incremental uh, revenue. You know, Mindy was on stage uh, recently and she said, I loved doing the integration because it gave me an extra amount of money to go out and get the Bruce Springsteen song that I really wanted for an episode. So she sees it as a perfectly reasonable way to fund the show and marketers really like the opportunity to be seen in these environments as they would be seen in real life. Uh, So it's definitely a plan of attack for us to keep going after these opportunities.
2: And it probably, again, helps you keep the ad load manageable to an extent as well.
1: Yeah, you bet. I mean, when you can have uh, a marketer integrate into the show, it takes the pressure off on other places. So keeping the ad experience as light as possible while we're trying to meet our business goals and objectives, that balance is what it's all about. Because if you don't recognize that it's about the viewer and the viewer experience. You won't have any viewers to sell. So it's that um, revenue uh, optimization as opposed to revenue maximization. Maximization, we just keep jamming ads. And that's yep. really the sins of television pass. We don't want to commit I think we've kind of forward. proved that's not a good
0: strategy at this point. Exactly. We had um, we had Roy Price from, from Amazon in the podcast uh, recently, and he was talking about how you having you know awards were coming off the Emmys uh, that actually signed helped sign people up for prime that it really was a, a driver when you're launching these originals I mean how important are are you you know you're in the hunt are you trying to be in the hunt for awards because it really helps the core business or is it just kind of getting some street cred in Hollywood and the acclaim
1: well um, Hollywood cares about the kind of marketing we do around a show what kind of viewership we can provide to a show and they do care about if we're going to be supportive of a show in terms of uh, dry, uh, you know pushing it during award season so it all counts uh, at the end of the day the reason you want awards is because that kind of publicity drives conversation and the more people talk about a show the more likely they are to f- have that um, sense of f- uh, fomo fear of missing out and it's like you know what I got to see that show right. I got to go watch that show I mean this past week and I already mentioned, with the Beatles, you know, uh, Beatlemania all over again. If you're a Beatles fanatic and there's tens of millions of them out there with uh, enough exposure through paid ads, publicity, word of mouth, social buzz, you know, people go sign up for Hulu because they got to see that that documentary.
0: I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, your sort of uh, skinny skinny bundle offering. Um, you know, what we've reported and they're, you know that you're sort of in, in talks with uh Networks about assembling that sort of thirty to forty dollar uh, skinny bundle thing that's going to solve the, the TV ec- ecosystem. There are many companies that are trying um, Apple, Amazon. Uh, in a way, you would be competing with some of your biggest companies' uh, distributors. And I'm, I'm curious what those talks are, are, are like, and um, you know when you think that something like that might come to the market for
1: Hulu. Well, we've kind of talked about early next year uh, about a go-to-market strategy and I think the thing that's so interesting about it again you have to pay attention to where viewers are going. Viewers are always way ahead of all these companies and viewers are displaying that the old way may not work for a lot of people. You have some cord cutters, you have mostly cord shavers, you have a lot of cord supplementers, Um, We have all this explosion of content and you want to see it, you know, all of a sudden you're subscribing to a lot more TV than ever before. So it's, again, it all comes down to choice. And I think our owners understand that they'd rather be in it than be left out of it. So this is a pretty big future bet uh, along the lines of, um, you know, just owning and being a part of Hulu that they know is part of where viewing is going. So they've got a, a foot in each camp in a big way.
0: What's the what's the roadmap for you guys to to profitability? I mean, is it you know kind of creating this this skinny bundle, g- growing a ton? Because right now, I mean, this is a it, it, you know it's it's not a profitable business. Do you think of yourself as a sort of Silicon Valley startup that's you know just focus grow grow grow, and then it'll sort of figure it out? Or or you know is this skinny bundle or other things really the the jumpstart to the profitability? You know, I
1: think we've got. Um a long-term view, and it's all about growth right now. Um, our owners help us decide how profitable or not we want to be, and they, they pull money out of the company as well as support the company during this phase of growth. So what we are fortunate enough to have is dual revenue with advertising and subscriptions, which a lot of people who are trying to put video on the Internet just don't have. So we've got um, a real nice business And it's just right now, it's really about getting the subscribers, making sure they have the best experience possible. And right now we've got the VOD platform. And with this new, essentially digital MVPD, it'll be a combination of live streaming plus the VOD service, which seems to meet viewers' needs. And if we're meeting viewers' needs, it's only going to go up and to the right. You know, we're on the right side of where viewers want to be.
2: Talk a bit more about um, advertiser demands as well, because you mentioned, obviously, the targeting piece. You know, it sounds like you can do a lot of what um, online advertisers have been doing for, you know, for a few years. Um, And then also the tracking piece as well. I know that's obviously sort of a hot topic. You guys are integrated with Comscore and Nielsen, I think. Um, But what... What are they looking for on, I guess, sort of the, the targeting piece and then also on the, the measurement?
1: Well, the promise of addressability has been something that marketers have been excited about for a long time. The idea of not just putting one ad out there in a linear stream to be seen by, you know, just anybody who's watching. The idea of targeting or tailoring your ad to a desired audience is super attractive. So IPTV, Internet Protocol Television, really leaps uh, forward on that promise um, and the thing that's attractive about hulu when we started eight years ago we were a hundred percent desktop hundred percent on um on your computer and now 70 percent of the streams are consumed in a living room environment so thanks so roku, roku playstation apple tv chromecast and so the fact that we can do addressable television in a television or living room environment is what's so attractive and driving demand. So you got the best of old TV with the best of new digital coming through in your living room. And that's that's what they like about it. The thing I think we're going to hear more about from marketers is measurement around um, business outcomes. Mm-hmm. You know, for so long, it's been about measurement of exposure yep. and who's watching just eyeballs. and just counting the viewership. And I think increasingly you'll see companies like mine and others uh, going out to market with the ability to say, not only did we expose your film to your desired audience, but we actually helped you sell tickets or put products in shopping carts or get test drives or whatever it is. And I think there'll be an increasing demand for that.
0: What kind of data are you using to, to reach that? I mean, are, are clients bringing their own data to the table? um are you sort of offering your own solutions how does that
1: work it's a combination of both it's a very much a bring your own data byod and we are fortunate enough to have um a a very robust set of data because we're subscription-driven and we know exactly what people are watching. So you can go beyond demographics and you can start segmenting behaviors and attitudes and sentiments. And when you marry our database with their database, all of a sudden you're really finding some interesting things happening. And then you just test and um, course correct your way to you know really good business outcomes.
2: How How rich is the information that you can glean from just, for example, a person's viewing habits or a household's viewing habits
1: well when you combine the viewing habits i'm with sure you collect some data, data yeah. right some crm data uh that's when it really comes to life there's a lot of um, noise and not a lot of signal so that's obviously you've probably heard that before so we have to have a lot of folks mining for the right signal in a cacophony of of data noise
0: What do you make of – we talked a little bit about Nielsen, their um, efforts to measure ratings for streaming services such as yourself and Netflix and Amazon. Um, They're doing so sort of against Netflix's will. You're in a little bit of a different situation because you have advertisers. Um, Do you foresee that heading into a situation where these shows are – the ratings are just sort of syndicated as there would be any any other – Uh, And is that a threat to some of your even maybe negotiations when it comes to these Well, I don't
1: think it's a threat to the negotiations. What's interesting is that the pendulum always swings, right? You think about digital media, period, and everything's served through an ad server. So you say, well, one ad was served. We can count one ad. And in our case, because 70% of the viewership happens in the living room, all of a sudden you have to start contemplating uh, multiple viewers in the room. When you talk about a big screen TV, you've got more than one person watching. So one stream doesn't necessarily equal one viewer anymore. So the pendulum has swung back to one stream equaling multiple viewers. So when they're trying to measure online ratings, you're gonna have to account for multiple viewers per stream. And here's a really interesting thing. The whole world is less concerned about measuring by show or by network, which is kind of a vertical way of measuring, because we're selling horizontally. We're selling audiences, we're selling geographies, we're selling genders, attitudes, and behaviors, and that cuts across many, many, many shows or networks or pieces of content. So it, it, doesn't, it almost doesn't matter when you're selling horizontally how many people are watching v- vertically. I mean, it matters to Hollywood and the people who create shows and negotiate over rights, but marketers, you know, they care about the, the audiences they want to reach.
2: You made reference there to sort of the local advertising piece, which has obviously sort of helped underpin cable TV for, mm-hmm. for many years. Um, how big of a business is that for you, or are you more sort of focused on the national side of things? Uh,
1: local is a very big business for us, and you look at some categories, for example, auto. Um, they love to market nationally and activate locally. Yeah. So you work with any of the guys out of Detroit or Southern California, and typically we'll transact with them, again, with a national campaign. And then there's 220 local markets in the country, and some people want all 220, some people want the top 100. So we, we go in uh, both directions. We also get what I would call, I guess, regional business. So mm-hmm. think supermarket chains or quick service restaurants that have a presence in a handful of states. We do really well at that. What we're not doing right now are things like, um, say, a Comcast Spotlight does, which is, you know, zone-based or zip-level targeting. It just, it just isn't our business. Um, they've got thousands of people going out after pizza parlors and, you know... Uh, Auto dealers and we go after a little bit bigger geographies well, why but is local that is because big. I
2: mean that's sort of part of the promise of, of digital right is the ability to sort of well I think our granular. scale
1: uh, once we get a little bit more scale we can entertain that but right now we don't have a hard time monetizing our inventory with that kind of local approach where we don't have to talk to you know pizza parlor owners not that we don't love them but Pivoting a little bit, uh, you guys are,
0: have a virtual reality app, um, and I'm curious. Obviously, there's a lot of talk about VR and the future of VR. Um, definitely from a television perspective as well. What your outlook is on that, and whether you think that's going to be, um, you know, a growing part of your business or something that you'll be able to sell against?
1: Yeah, we uh, have. A robust app, as you can imagine, in the VR space, as nascent as it is, um, it's a pretty interesting one where you can actually recreate your Hulu 2D experience by putting on the headset if you chose to, and you can watch your, rec- I call it rectangular content. So there's just a screen somewhere Yeah, it's in a there. screen floating, and you can be in a virtual ski lodge or uh, on the beach or whatever, and you're watching. and, <laughs> and uh, So it's kind of a parlor trick. Uh, but more interestingly, of course, is the immersive uh, 360 content. We announced a big partnership with um, Live Nation to do a series of music-related uh, VR experiences, and we're signing up um, artists as we speak. So I think it's definitely a place where Hulu wants to play because Hulu is about reinventing television, and VR stands to really disrupt um, entertainment if if the if all the enthusiasts are even a little bit right, VR is going to be a really, really big deal. And as the prices come down and people can gain access to the hardware, you know, they're going to want to watch something. So doing partnerships with people like Live Nation, I think, is a smart future bet.
2: When do you think that's going to happen? Because, I mean, we've heard a lot of talk about VR for, you know, a number of years now. I get the sense that the hardware has, you know, is perhaps not, at the point where it's going to be adopted in a sort of mainstream fashion. But I don't know, if you were to sort of guess, I mean, at what point is a significant portion of your audience going to be watching through VR? You would know,
1: you'd have to peg it directly to the hardware and the accessibility um, for true immersive VR, and that has to do with price points. You know, once a price point falls to a certain place where people will scoop it up and it's the hot gift under the Christmas tree. That'll be a tipping point. But I think the gateway will be 360 video that people will use their mobile devices for. Where You don't have to put it in a a viewer and you can just look at 360 content on your mobile device because everybody in the free world has a cell phone mm-hmm. and all that 360 content's available. So I think that'll be the um, the gateway into really deep experiences. So it's, it's going to be interesting to watch how pervasive that becomes uh, moving forward. And then, again, the hardware, the, once the prices come down and it's easy to buy, I don't, I don't see why it won't continue to take off.
0: All right. Well, we have to wrap things up there. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for joining us. Thank we really you. appreciate it. Uh, thanks for listening to the WSJ Media Mix podcast. We'll catch you next time. WSJ Podcasts, now available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and the Google
2: Play Music app.